0: Hello I'm Simon Burton and welcome to Arts Roundup where we'll take a skate across the tiles in Cambridge to discover an artist's gallery that's inside a car, how the city's exotic plant life can take us in new directions, gather up some untold stories of remembrance and take a brief retrospective taster from Black History Month. In this edition Sculptor and poet Alexandra Drysdale reconciles some of life's opposites at the Sedgwick site as art-language location hits the streets. The University's Botanical Gardens Juliet Dade previews its forthcoming Voicing the Garden oral history project. Cambridge poet and painter John Lyons celebrates Black History Month with his large canvases at a show in Bury. County Council historian Sally Ann Greensmith talks on the Great War Between the Lines Remembrance project that launches a new online archive marking both recorded and untold stories circa 1914. And Cambridge Art Salon casts a seasonal spell inviting local kids to get drawing on a Halloween theme. If you've ever felt frustrated in your daily life when sitting in your car when you travel, but never really seem to get anywhere, or perhaps read endlessly and never seem to make any personal progress, you need to pull over and turn the whole problem around with some new art language thinking. That's the starting point for a piece of language-focused art that's one of the many exhibits currently on the Sidgwick site as part of Art Language Location series exploring text and place. I dropped in to meet sculptor and poet Alexandra Drysdale, who decided to turn her family car into a poetic gallery and sculpture space, which you just jump into to witness the exhibits at close quarters.
1: Well, I thought it was a really interesting idea to do an exhibition where I was trying to combine kind of image making with language. (laughs) So that was a kind of a new thing, really, for me, mm-hmm. uh, to...
0: And it's very much um, about language in a particular place, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yes, well, it is. It's all in my car, mm. my Toyota Corolla.
0: This car um, mm. is your family car, but you've done something rather extraordinary. Can you describe the inside of it and uh, what it is you've done with it?
1: Well, I, I said that I just, I've t- converted into an artist's play pen. So there are dollies, mm. um, there's poems that I've written onto the back of the uh, seats and the doors... There's various things hanging from the ceiling and I've made a sort of highway along the um, along the windscreen area,
0: um, and basically you've, you've used your car um, as the the paperwork for your poetry. Um, yeah,
1: I have. Yes, um,
0: I mean we, we, we've got um, on on the back of all the seats um, wonderful texts. Um, perhaps you'd like to read one for me. Um, th- this one I once loved Sufi. Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I once loved a Sufi, but he smoked too much grass. I once loved a Buddhist who spent too much time sitting on his ass. I once loved a Jew, but he attacked me with a knife. I once loved a Christian, but he wouldn't leave his wife. Now I love a centaur, the body of an animal from the waist down, the torso of a noble man. He likes to walk barefoot, but I'm afraid of removing my shoes, of feeling the earth under my feet and my head in my toes. But this way love gets grounded and made more profound, not that airy-fairy merry-go-round. I used to go to church to receive the bread and wine, but now I stay at home to be touched by the divine.
0: Wonderful. Um, this this is a, a script written down the back of the seat of the car um, and also in the car you have um, lots of um, uh, mind-boggling objects. Um, yes. You've got um, a white hand um, stuck to the steering wheel. You've got um, small, what would you call them? They're, they're dolls or mannequins? Yes, or they're <laughs> dolls really. <laughs> yes, a,
1: a man and a woman doll um, with a a brain, kind of hanging between them, with rather confused, anxious-looking figures hanging off it,
0: um, and also a mobile in the middle of the car. This car yes. is quite a <laughs> quite an adventure to get inside because um, there are so many different things in here, and there are there are scripts, there are texts on the doors, on the backs of the seats, yes. um, on the upholstery, all beautifully written um, in, in white paint. Yes. Uh, did that take you a long time to put together? That
1: did take me a long time. I mean, the, the whole thing is actually. I'm surprised at how much I did just in the couple of months in fact Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's there's a lot of work here
0: Uh, and why not use a car for that that purpose it's absolutely wonderful Um, now um the language of art is a key thing for you isn't it um can you explain how that works
1: well yes i mean principally i'm i'm fascinated in images Mm. um but combining words with images is a whole really new thing for me and it adds an extra dimension to it Mm. for people. I think it draws people in more. Often images can be quite, um, kind of sometimes difficult to connect with and sometimes having words as well obviously people relate to words very very quickly Mm. compared to an image so Mm. it kind of holds people's attention I think
0: do you think there's a new kind of meta language coming um, to talk about um, art which fills that gap or
1: (laughs) Um, I think there probably is yes Mm -hmm. I think hopefully this exhibition art language location will do quite a lot to add to that
0: Mm. Um, now the themes that run through um, your artwork themes of spirit matter and nature um, Tell me about those
2: Um,
1: we're trying to find a kind of connection that links these different aspects Mm. of being a human being Mm. and uh, using my imagination and playing with materials to try and find those kind of links really. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And and reconciling opposites is another thing. Yes, that's a
1: big thing for me, Mm -hmm. reconciling opposites, Mm -hmm. yes. In fact, I I say that in my manifesto, which is written on the inside of the driver's car, driver's door. (laughs)
0: Uh, 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 What does that mean, basically, that that opposites don't have to disagree, that they can be amicable? Yes, exactly, Uh, they uh, can
1: uh, come uh, together uh, and um, produce, kind of create a space for a third way, mm -hmm,
0: as I say. -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, And you have a certain kind of humour that you like to to get across in your work. I do, yes,
1: a kind of cheeky, tongue-in-cheek humour, slightly kind of dark and that the humor enables me to express something dark and kind of get away with it and Mm -hmm. so Uh,
0: I've been having a look on your 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 website um that you do things like um lectures um yes I uh, do tell me a little bit about out of the blue red vibrations and way of the wedding way to the wedding oh right (laughs) well
1: I got into kind of lecturing on art history just Mm -hmm. as a way to support my art practice really but I'm fascinated in it and so some of my some of my lectures are just about the way artists use colour, but also I've got lectures on how artists uh, portray and kind of explore the elements: earth, air, fire, and water. Uh, so, yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, and Gaston Bachelard um, was a big influence on you. Why yes. was
1: that? Yes, uh, I suppose um, he talks about the kind of poetic imagination, mm-hmm. and uh, which is really. For me, you know, the a kind of fundamental thing in, in the art practice.
0: Um, okay, now you, um, you park this this car, which is uh, quite a, an interesting spectacle, um, in just outside the law faculty at Cedric site um, on the pavement, <laughs> and you're inviting people to come and have a look at it and sit in it and read the poems. I am, yeah, I uh, am. It,
1: it's quite difficult to get people to stop here because everyone's kind of on their way to a lecture, <laughs> so I'm trying to kind of lure them here, but they're rather tentative actually at the moment.
0: Well, what's been the reception so far to the events of Art Language Location? I mean, it's something that was launched only last week and there's lots of things going on. I there. think
1: it's been great. Um... You know Robert Good, who's kind of set the whole thing up, has been you know marvellous at kind of getting everyone together, and uh, I think yeah, I think it may be a new kind of thing that's going to happen every year in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Anyway, it's yeah, yeah. F- fantastic. Yeah. Um,
0: for you as an artist, I mean, do you do you do you have um, a lot of trouble in terms of finding places to exhibit um, your work? I do. I mean, <laughs> that's why yeah, you know,
1: getting hold of my using yeah. my car as my own little kind of mini portable gallery mm-hmm. is a way to deal with that. So I hope maybe in the future I can set up a kind of tour. Of the British Isles taking my car to various places and opening it up for the public.
0: And how long is it going to be here?
1: Uh, it's just here until November the thir- November the 2nd yeah. is it my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and when's your next exhibition? Where, where are you appearing next as it were?
1: My next exhibition, ooh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually currently working on a project with another artist ernie dalton we're producing her sculptural performance work inspired by nicholas poussin's painting dance to the music of time mm. and our aim is to perform it in the wallace collection where the painting is is hanging
0: fantastic um uh, alexandra thank you very much indeed for talking to Cambridge 105
1: thanks a yeah. lot Slim. it's been really good fun
0: Cambridge University's Botanical Gardens is a spectacular resource that marks the city apart from others in being able to offer a comprehensive display of exotic plant life from around the world, even in winter, and has surprising things to discover as a legacy of the Darwin and pre-Darwin era. For over a century, historians and botanists have painstakingly looked after and catalogued one of the most important gardens in England, but there's one area the green fingers have hitherto missed, the whole story of what actually went on in the gardens over the decades from its many visitors. A new project, Voicing the Garden, is being launched, recording people's personal experiences and artworks, inspired by people visiting the botanics, and will feature a screening of animations and film at the Arts Picture House on December the 11th and 12th, made by schoolchildren with the help of Cambridge Film Consortium. Voicing the Garden, an oral heritage project, will invite the public to contribute to any aspect of fleshing out the Botanic Garden's past story and will use old film footage, documents and photographs as a starting point for creativity and history building. Development officer Juliet Dade introduces the project
3: we're trying to bring together um, both sides of the garden fence, as it were. We want to talk to people who have made the garden, people who have grown up in the garden, people who have simply visited and enjoyed the garden, all in the interest of trying to build up a picture of um, those parts of the garden that are stable and permanent and reassuring, but also building up a real picture of change over the decades. Um, The the
0: Botanics has an extraordinary past, doesn't it? Because it it, it began during Darwin's um, era, effectively, of of exploration and and gathering things from all over the world and bringing them together. So that's going to be um, part of it as well, isn't it? it, Would it be history, poetry and personal memories?
3: The garden does go back, in fact, to before Darwin's time. It Mm. was uh, founded on its current site by John Henslow, who Mm. was Darwin's mentor and teacher. Um, and indeed there's a a whole sort of developing thesis that Henslow uh, as the older man um, was the person who gave Darwin his incipient ideas about variation between species and if you come round the garden now you can still see Henslow's uh, extant tree plantings which begin to show real variation so you'll get the extremes um, uh, in the forms of two black pines, they're both black pines but one's from Austria one's from Spain and they look very different in the form And we're beginning to sort of think that that is a deliberate teaching illustration and aid which is you know there for us still 150, 160 years later so that's one of those lovely historical stories that's coming out but also what we're really interested in is that sort of personal side of things so who came with their grandparents, who who came as little children, who, who came and you know loved the bamboos because that gives us at the garden a whole different spin on how to um, understand and experience and enjoy the garden you know I've already gathered in stories that um, with my team of volunteers you know have been fully trained in all this about how you know those giant Wellingtonias are are not giant Wellingtonias really that's where the tigers live you know or something like that and that's something that we're really loving um, getting to know but yes I mean the whole project really came about because our longest serving member of staff Al Langley um, brought in one day a cine film from 1953 of uh, an annual institution that still happens which is called round the garden race which is really our staff party Um, and it was beautiful you could see all these you know to me i've been here a decade or more but even so you know these were just names these were legends in my lifetime you know bob younger who was superintendent here john gilmore who i think was probably one of our most inspirational directors from the 1950s to 70s and to see them on film and running the race and then seeing how the garden has changed. You know, the paths were in different directions and the glasshouse range looked very different. We it was still had the teak palm house and now we have, you know, the replacement aluminium aluminium. Frame glass house that we put up in the eighties, you know. So it was wonderful to kind of see that film and it, talking to Al, who's been here for forty years, you began to understand that you know horticultural practice had changed, the landscape had changed, our attitude to visitors and being open and access had all changed it was wonderful to start to see that coming out
0: now, now you've got films and but you also have other archive things like um, photographs of records and things like that um, and with like many other projects like this presumably you're going to try and extrapolate and add to what you have to build from the skeleton and um, flesh out the whole past of the, of the, of the gardens is that right? It,
3: hmm. It's incredible how it's grown so it, it started with you know just thinking well it'd be good to get up you know to gather up some of these stories and interview some of the people who've worked here because there's an awful lot of information in heads but not down on paper anywhere um, and, and then it started to grow as we started to talk to uh, some of the people uh, we had photographs sent in um, we had a work diaries sent in we've had slides sent in of how we've kind of reorganised the glasshouse range So that sort of started to come out into a sort of multimedia approach. Then we had other films come in and we remembered that people would have filmed when the Titan Arum flowered in 2004, I think that was, and people had extraordinary memories of that. So it's really kind of expanded out and increased our resource.
0: And what about love stories? Have Cambridge's poets um, written things um, about the gardens? And has anyone ever proposed in the gardens on record?
3: Oh well, wow, that's a great idea. I would love to know that. Maybe your listeners could uh, could uh, tell us all about that. I do know that actually, very recently, uh, a couple came down. It was incredibly well orchestrated with the help of our, our visitor services team here, and only about four or five months ago, there was a, a successful engagement in the garden, which involved looking after someone's champagne in our staff fridge for a while, <laughs> uh, and they had met as students here and came on their first date here. Uh, and you know, ten, fifteen years later, they were coming. Back back down I think from Newcastle, um, you know, to kind of remember their first date and and he popped the question. But I would love to know if there are other stories like that out there.
0: Um, Now a little bit about some of the key attractions to the garden for anyone who's listening who doesn't actually know. You do have a fantastic variety of things here. Um, Wonderful um, hothouses full of um, huge um, plants with massive leaves. Um, You've got um, dry gardens, wet gardens, shrubberies, lakes and so on and so forth. What are the sort of key few things that you would recommend that people come and have a look at.
3: Well, we do. We you're absolutely right. We do like to think that you've got basically the whole world in a garden <laughs> on your doorstep. So you know you can go from mountainous plants to rainforest plants to um, you know deciduous woods. And of course, at this time of year, coming into the autumn, it's really the autumn colours which are beginning to get going. Uh, So our tree collection, one of the best in the eastern region, uh, is just beginning to colour up. We've got the beautiful liquid amber down by the lake, the birches are all golden, the the black walnut has turned into a golden walnut, and there's a wonderful thing called the katsura tree at the moment, which uh, is shedding its leaves. And as it sheds the leaves, the the chemical change in the colour actually also emits this wonderful smell of toffee. So you can be walking around the garden and you suddenly think, I can smell caramel, what's that? Well, that's the katsura tree. So the trees are fabulous at the moment, um, particularly uh, there are lots with berries and fruits, all the lovely um, um, uh, crab apples are colouring beautifully and then we've got some very unusual trees um, like the uh, Osage orange which has these big Um, lurid green uh, tennis ball sized fruits but they're all wrinkled and they we like we within the staff call them pickled gardeners brains Uh, and a bit of autumn wind and that will bring them down and they're really fun
0: how can people get involved have you um, have you got a program online or something or
3: Well, we've got two things ongoing at the moment. We are gathering up recorded interviews. So I would love to hear from any of your listeners who have stories of how they've used the garden, what it means to them. Have they used it for solace, um, as a sanctuary, as a Exercise ground as an introduction to the natural world. We want to understand exactly how um, visitors use the garden and what they love about the garden. So if they get in touch with us, um, perhaps via your via your website, Simon, then mm. we can um, we'll set up that interview between um, that the person and some of our recorder uh, volunteers who've been fully trained in the process. And then later in December, what we will be doing is. Um, launching a website, a website to share some of these stories so people can listen to them and understand more and explore more about that kind of uh, texture to the garden, that context to the garden. But the website will also be uh, encouraging you to participate uh, so you could upload your own photos of time in the garden. You could um, upload your own memories of time in the garden. It's basically a Vista book idea. So you can, but there is going to be a speci- specific, specific um, creative writing area to it because we know that the garden is very inspirational um, for all sorts of um, amateur and professional uh, writers. Uh, all sorts of um, poetry has been inspired by the garden, short stories by the garden, that kind of thing. And so what we've done is we've put together a kind of word workshop area of. The the website where uh, local professional writers have um, talked about how they've used the garden uh, for inspiration and for practice and for exercise and they're putting together some uh, exercises uh, like uh, how to use metaphors and that kind of thing um, so that people can really hone their skills and then once you're you know if you are inspired and you're happy with your piece then we would be pleased to uh, publish it on the website as well.
0: Ginette Dane what a fantastic project thank you very much indeed for talking to Cambridge 105. My pleasure. In 1948, some 65 years ago, a ship called the Windrush arrived at Tilbury Docks, signalling the beginning of post-war mass migration to the UK. This October has been Black History Month in the UK, celebrating the achievements and cultural contribution of migrants since the Windrush docked. I decided to visit the winner of the Windrush Arts Award, John Lyons, a poet and painter from Trinidad and Tobago, as he exhibited his new and larger canvases at the spacious new Apex Gallery in Barry St Edmunds. I found his love of folklore and classic tales a best witness both visually and verbally together.
4: Time for feasting, a desperate love for survival, his gently puncturing kiss like a lover's, He conspires with a ripe moon to conjure up the world of folklore. Before the moon hides in dark grey folds of clouds, the ritual of a woo! There is a turbulence of flesh, a shaping of jaw, lengthening of canines, knees crooking back, feet become paws armed
5: with thumbs, his air-nuzzling
4: savers heifers. In pastures they topple their bulk off a pale, stretched bellies
0: your work is very much based on folklore from Trinidad and Tobago, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, about some of um, the things that you've got on show here? Because they're absolutely huge, colourful uh, canvases, but they have a story behind them, don't they? Well,
4: yes. There's, there are stories behind them because, I mean, the whole business of folklore, Trinidad folklore and, and Tobago folklore, have come down from a sort of, uh, uh, what you might call a French Creole culture. And um, a lot of the characters there, they've got you know, sort of French names, for instance, La Diablesse. La Diablesse is really, is what is a devil woman. Um, and uh, she actually is, uh, she takes revenge on men who actually think they're God's gift to women, you see. She might have suffered in the past by some broken up love affair and, she, and she's actually now taking her revenge and um, there's a lot of stories about, about her. We're talking about um, spirits, um,
0: retribution from the supernatural.
4: Oh yes, yes, in fact it's something, we are in Trinidad and Tobago, we're very much aware of what we call a numinous, you know, that, that, that other, other world if you like that alter that you know, parallel universe, if you like, of spirits and, and whatever. You know, um, that's what we're aware of all the time. And it's part of our culture, mm. it's come down more culture.
0: Now, you've got images um, like an absolutely huge um, canvas there of, which has um, apparently a figure of the crucifixion but it's, oh. seen, it's not the crucifixion in, in a Christian sense it's with this wonderfully colourful background which completely
4: changes that doesn't it? Um, well, where did that come from? Trinidad is really a Catholic country yeah. it's, been, it's been conquered by the Spanish by, and the Spanish, yeah. and the Spanish is Catholic, they were Catholics and so therefore there's a lot, there, a lot of the Christian which might word mythology if you like mm. in all culture and I wanted to capture that moment when Christ on the cross his human nature was crying out yeah you know um, because you know this we, we, we know that there's a, a divine nature and a human nature and that moment to remind people, that you know, that's what I wanted to see. It's when right when the two was kind of in meet them. in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely yeah. wonderful.
0: Um, and you fill um, lots of your canvases with extraordinary creatures um, from folklore. From some of them look quite frightening. Some of them wear masks. Some of them are small, and some of them are huge. Um, but, where do those come from? Well, but the mask
4: but part of it also is part of carnival yeah. because in carnival, all the masks have come from not only the African culture, but also in the masquerade. Mm. But it's it also part of what of carnival and people wear masks all the time and if you like, it's like a visual metaphor really, mm. you know, for, for really people uh, trying to conceal their real natures mm. you Do you know? think
0: people should so, be um, afraid of their
4: dreams or, or, or should take advantage of their dreams? No, I don't think people should, take, should be afraid of their dreams although some of them might be frightening when you call them nightmares but as an artist with a creative bent you, you use all those you use all those um, avenues if you like of mm-hmm. dreams and so on. I'm very fond of, of surrealist painting anyway, surrealist mm-hmm. and the expressionist painting. So they fit very well together in my work and the way I work. Can we talk about some of the specific um, um, figures from your dreams that are well-recorded
0: mm-hmm. in, in, in the mm-hmm. folklore of where you come from? Yeah. Um, La Jablace, Papa Bois, Lubegu and Soukoyon.
4: Well, yeah. Are they pronounced right? Probably well, yes, yeah. <laughs> Soukoyon, mm-hmm. which is, is a vampire. Yeah. It's sort of, um, she becomes a ball of fire. Mm-hmm. What she does... She's during the daytime and she walks around as an old lady, Mm. right? And the reason why she disguises disguises herself as an old lady is because people have, in my time anyway, people were very polite to old people. Mm. So what better place to be but to pretend to be an old lady, Mm. right? But at nighttime, she becomes, she takes the skin off, Mm -hmm. put it somewhere cool, becomes a ball of fire flies around at night like a vampire to suck people's blood. And that sounds as though like it has similarities with,
0: obviously, Greek goddesses who yeah. take on other forms and yeah, yeah, yes, play tricks yes, upon yes, people and do things yeah, like that. Absolutely. And, and she's that kind of figure. Yes, and yes. I see that you've got um, a very big canvas just up here on the wall um, mm. of um, a person who apparently um, is strolling along with their head in the clouds
4: oh, reading right. a book. Mm. Well,
0: where did that come from?
4: Well, that, that actually is very interesting because that person really is my alter ego. Yeah. You notice he's a bit of a clown, he's got a sort of fool's cap on his head, yeah. and he has a book, that book is his poetry. He's head above the clouds, because obviously when you say you have your head above the clouds, it means that you're dreaming. Yeah? You're, you, to, but, but to be there with your head above the clouds, you've got to have your feet firmly on the ground. Now that is, you've got to stretch pretty, pretty high. Um, and
0: uh, obviously, comic images come into it just as much as spooky images, Oh don't yes, they? yes, definitely. So, so that, that that humour mm-hmm. um, is tied in through all your art and your poetry. Absolutely, it? uh, yeah.
4: absolutely. It's um, Intr- 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 we we, we Humour is a great, great thing. We love humour anyway, mm-hmm. and um, and we make good use of it in every respect. Let words be the arbiter of my feelings. The imprisonment in this poem my plea for reconciliation with reason. Images like a hurricane in my mind, a topsy-turvy dizzying howling like nocturnal lugaroo at the Caribbean full moon. I lie awake eyeballing lunacy, a pardonable state they say, merely a comic interference on the mind's perceptions, the moon's prankish glow inducing strange poetry. I should not be locked up for this plan.
0: Hi.
6: You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
0: The social devastation of the Great War has only recently slipped out of living memory and marking its 1914 centenary in 2014, a new European-funded County Council project is being launched to catalogue every aspect of its local history. The Great War Between the Lines project linked to schemes in France and Belgium will gather archive material and seek to tell hidden histories from every angle online and bring events into fresh perspective using material uploaded and contributed by the public. Hinging Brook House, a regional troop training centre in 1914, will host a day of military enactments, mock battles and costume drama and hospital scenes on August the 3rd next year to show how people lived in the era... County Council project assistant Sally Ann Greensmith previews the project which is gathering steam.
7: We're holding an event on november the eleventh this year in Cambridgeshire Archives. There'll be a two-minute silence at Shy Hall at 11 o'clock yeah. and then after that the archives will be open and there'll be original documents on display from the war period. Um, there'll also be um, advice on tracing ancestors and local history in the First World War period and we'd just love people to come in and share their stories. If they've got any memorabilia, bring it in and we'll have a look and see if we can advise them about it.
0: Are there some surprises in those documents? Um, are there things that have sort of would, people would just think cramps, that's incredible, you know, when they look through those, are there particular ones that you can pull to mind? I oh. think
7: the thing is, it's, it's just so powerful actually reading mm. people's mm. letters from the time. Mm. Um, I've read letters from the start of the war when they're so sort of confident and excited, and um, just knowing what comes, it really affects you when you read them. Mm. Um, I think one of the most interesting things i found studying on, this t- on this, while I've been doing this project is the Belgian refugees. Um, such a huge influx of people came in such a short time and how they were accommodated and how society sort of helped um, offer them hospitality is really interesting.
0: Um, th- th- they saw um, war at the outset as a kind of um, adventure, didn't they? And, um, and yet a modern war was just pure carnage.
7: They just weren't ready, really, for how it was so quickly going to advance. Technology was just going to totally change the nature Mm. of warfare. And it's really interesting reading letters from the start of the war and then reading letters that date from that later period, sort of after conscription, people Mm. who've gone in. And it's a a much different sort of tone, and you can see the toll that the war's taking on people.
0: Um, And obviously anybody who didn't volunteer to go was between a rock and a hard place, weren't they, socially?
7: Yeah, definitely. mm will hopefully have some conscientious objectors material on display on November the 11th as well. So Mm. we want to look at sort of every aspect, we don't want to forget those Mm. people who Mm. took a different stand against the war. Mm. And I think it will help people sort of think about the Second World War as well and Mm. the people that are still surviving from that, the Mm. fact that it will encourage people to record those stories before their loss. It was such a big event, but I think Mm. there's still people, like younger people around today, that don't know so much about it i don't think it's been mm. overworked i think it's there's definitely time to bring these stories back again
2: yeah yeah yeah.
7: I mean, the Great War had a huge impact on society um, in sort of every aspect of it, and that's what we really want to look at with this project. We want to sort of not just look at the front line and what was happening in, on the battlefield, but also look at how it was affecting society at home um, and the home front.
0: Because mm. um, it was, an, it basically took away an entire generation of, of young men, didn't it, from um, Britain, uh, and left um, a society that was effectively gutted by what happened, isn't it? Yeah.
7: and I think because it was so devastating as well it was one of the things it it couldn't really be talked about at (laughs) the time I (laughs) think that's why it's it's one of those things sort of the point of our project is to uncover hidden stories and I think it was one of those things that a lot of families sort of (laughs) um, put to one side and I think now it's time to sort of revisit it and
0: how are you going to manage that?
7: (laughs) Yeah, we're running a series of um, touring exhibitions, oh. and the whole point of those exhibitions is to pick different themes that ma- perhaps will not have been looked at um, before. Hmm. Um, this project, it, it's been running in cooperation with European partners, so we've got various partners in Northern France and Belgium who've each picked hmm. um, a theme that they think might have been neglected, just family or the role of music. Th- the exhibition, I think, is actually going to be on sort of the roles of. The mother, father, and the child, and looking at sort of the impact on those, um, um, and looking at sort of images and toys and things that were around for children. Looking at the sort of things mothers would have had to cope with, like suddenly being having to Mm. um, support their family when while their partner's away. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what that's trying to pick up on. Our website, they're asking people to contribute material to, has a section for people Mm. who want to upload things to do with culture and things. Um, I think. One of our partners is mm. doing um, a sort of tourist route, sort of based around works of the poets. Um, mm. That's quite well known. So that
0: would be people like um, Wilfred Owen. Wilfred Owen. Yeah, Siegfried
7: yeah. 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 Sassoon, so yeah. so mm-hmm. um, Rupert Brooke.
0: So you'd be asking people to contribute to a, a website bank of material, would you, and then, I then mean, backing that up with archive material and things like that. Huh? Yes, mm-hmm. we've
7: um, got a website on the um, Cambridge Community Archive Network. Mm. And so anyone can submit material to that website, it's already got things uploaded that were already on the Archive Network, Mm -hmm. plus things that we found on our research and things that people are already starting to contribute um, themselves.
0: Mm Um, and also, I mean, what about um, things like the culture of the era, um, songs, um, music and things like that? Um, are those going to be part of it as well? Or yeah, well, <laughs> one
7: of the touring exhibitions is the theme is music, mm. so there will be a whole exhibition looking at how music was used um, for propaganda, how it changed, how the messages it was sort of presenting about the war changed through that period, um, how sort of musicians in that time were influenced and um, how military music was used in campaigning and recruiting people. Mm-hmm. Well because our project is running up to the end of September next oh, year we're yeah. really focusing on sort of raising awareness of the centenary and um, encouraging people to get thinking about it now um, trying to um, improve access to sort of materials and information about researching the war in Cambridgeshire archives and local studies. Um, and we, so we just feel like we're starting the ball rolling and wanting to sort of raise awareness and help sort of publicize things that people are doing and um, help people coordinate um, things for the centenary.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Yeah. In Cambridge for some time now. You may have noticed the gradual disappearance of the old K6 telephone boxes that have been iconic photographic British landmarks since before the 1950s. Or indeed the even rarer old-fashioned police boxes. The last small one in Cambridge used to be posited outside what's now Waterstone Books and was either removed in the 1980s or collected secretly by a Time Lord owner. Doctor Who Tardis's have been appearing in all sorts of places recently as a current craze in front gardens and jokey spots, and the old red phone boxes are being bought and used for purposes such as domestic showers. If you'd like to acquire one of them for an arts project, the City Council has just opened the bidding for the K6 phone box currently posited on Keyside because it wants to preserve its heritage after being removed from service next February. If you'd like this local artifact, contact David Fould at CambridgeGov.uk, giving a brief statement of the organisation that you represent and your idea for how the telephone box will be used and do it by tomorrow's deadline. I don't know where
6: my baby is, but I'll find him somewhere, somehow. I've gotta let him know how much I care. I'll never give up looking for my baby.
0: If you're looking for something a bit different for the family and small children this Halloween, Cambridge Art Salon is inviting people to do some mildly spooky creative things on October 27th. Braving bats, cobwebs and rubber spiders, I briefly met artists Jill Fordham, Fiona Henderson and Ruth Schmidt, who created the brand Q Here, which makes designer bags from recycled materials for things like laptops, handbags and personal cases
1: this half term we're having a couple of workshops for families um, to draw
5: and to do some craft work exploring uh, Halloween themes, fun family workshops for people to bring their kids to. Mm -hmm. Black Cat is a typical Halloween character, I think it's quite a generic character and um, we've got an exhibition running at the salon anyway at the same time Jo Clark and she does a lot of animals so we thought a black cat links in with that. Uh, don't know whether Jo's going to actually be there on the day to help with the workshop, but she might be. But it's um, certainly on. The exhibition is on, so there's lots of animals in that. But we've turned it into a sort of Halloween theme as well. So the cat is linked up to Halloween. They can go away with a really good drawing of a cat, and and then the next thing that they'll do is um, carving a pumpkin out as well. So. They're both things that are really fun to do, really practical, and really Halloween-ish mm. theme. And, and yeah. you're going to
0: exhibit all the work around the gallery afterwards, are you? Or yes. Think, yeah. um, and, and there's another event coming up here at Cambridge Arts Salon, which is?
5: The upcycle city is because um, Q here has always been um, an upcycling type of brand, because basically from its origins, it, um, Q here would get hold of banners, um, advertising banners that were being thrown out save them from landfill and turn them into bags and the other thing has been uh, getting hold of used cycle inner tubes tubes that have been punctured they were also going to be thrown out and um, they've been made into bags as well but the upcycle city goes a little bit further because it it's sort of spreading further than just bags We're uh, doing furniture um home decor and a few other things um, quite surprising new things so it's not just bags anymore Q here are doing all sorts of things it's um, basically the collaboration is between Ruth Schmidt who is the Q here founder and me Fiona Henderson I, we've been working together and having a lot of fun with it
0: and you're actually making bags here aren't you
5: well some I make just um I design
6: myself, and then people come and see a bag, and then they either they like it as it is, or they said, "Well, I want it with another uh, colour, another stripe, or another size," and then I custom make them.
0: Mm-hmm. Great! So lots of um, creative things happening at Cambridge Arts and in the near future. Thanks very much indeed for talking to me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. You're listening
6: to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
0: time to take a pick of what's coming up in the city in the next few weeks. The Fairhaven Singers concert season with conductor Ralph Wood continues with Immortal Fire featuring work by Bach and Purcell on November the 9th at Queen's College Chapel and on the 10th at St Vigors in Fullbourne. White House Arts presents a charity arts exhibition at Chesterton Community College on Saturday the 16th and 17th of November in aid of SOS Children and Rowan. The Cambridge Corn Exchange presents an evening with Julian Lloyd Webber and musician friends on the 30th of October. There's a poetry reading and talk at the Polar Museum by poet, naturalist and essayist Charles Hood on Wednesday, November the 6th, based on his experiences in Antarctica. The Czech National Symphony Orchestra under conductor Peter Altischer, performs Schubert, Strauss and Dvorak on Tuesday the 26th of November at the Corn Exchange. And stand-up comedian Greg Davis is at the Corn Exchange presenting The Back of My Mum's Head on November the 14th. That's all we have time for in this edition of Arts Roundup. I hope you enjoyed listening in on Cambridge 105 and will let us know if you have a story to tell.
8: About me, I'm just a poor fool that's bluer than blue can be When I get that mood in go I could lay me down and die